how the grace of God works and brings a man to life, a woman to life uh, by the Holy Spirit. We're going to have the privilege of hearing several more of these testimonies, um, I think beginning next week, Palm Sunday is next Sunday. We have uh, seven, I think, if I count, counted, seven baptismal candidates uh, coming for this profession of faith uh, this, this Easter Sunday. should be quite, quite exhilarating of a time spiritually. We are coming to Hebrews chapter 10. Um, I, had, I had hoped to get here just even a little bit earlier than I did this morning. And I have extra books and other belongings that had been in my church study, but I'm running out of room, and so I packed them up, put them in a box, and they're in one of those side rooms stored. And I was going to come because... Um, there's a photograph that I packed in the box, and it's a photograph of, of my wife um, be, before we were married. Nancy's wondering why she's in a box. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's part of the illustration. We'll get there. Um, it, it, it's her high, I think it's your high school graduation picture is what it is. And it's just, she's stunning. I mean, she still is. Uh, more radiant every day. But it's a stunning photo. But you're, why would you put it in a box? Because I have the real one. Right? You know, so that's the problem when we come to the, the situation for the Hebrew Christians. This Hebrew church. They're, they're going back to the photo. They're going back to the shadow instead of relishing the person of their Lord Jesus Christ. And we hear this, why? Why would you ever go back? It's as ridiculous as me holding on to the photo and putting Nancy in the box of the storeroom. This is the dilemma. We come to chapter 10, and you're going to be, I think, of some relief to know that chapter 10, the first half, will round out now the theological section of the book of Hebrews. He's going to conclude this, and he's going to get into more of the pastoral concerns uh, moving forward. Not that there isn't theology in the pastoral concerns. We've clearly heard some of that already today. But let's move to chapter 10. And we'll begin looking at verses 1 to 4. I'm going to read it section by section this morning. Chapter 10, verses 1 to 4. Since the law was but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, they would not have ceased to be offered, since the worshipers, having been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin. But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The old law, the old covenant, had but a shadow 
It doesn't say that the law was a shadow, per se. It says that the law has a shadow, and that shadow is indeed this system of worship, this sacrificial system. Now, interestingly, it's in the present tense. The law has a shadow. That's a little clue that perhaps this is written before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. So this is still going on. The law has a shadow. These sacrifices are continually, even still, being offered up to that point in time. And there's a reminder every year, indeed every day, of sin. There's an awareness of sin. Now, the the system itself, though, is a shadow. We shouldn't think of it as um, something that shouldn't have been. Indeed, this is divinely ordained. The, The whole Old Testament system was given by God as a picture to show us what worship in heaven is like and to prepare the way for the ultimate sacrifice. God is progressively revealing His plan to us. And so it's good. Temporary, but no, not a second thought. Not an afterthought. Temporary and partial Revealing the eternal and the perfect nature of God and of His salvation for us. Now, the, because it was a shadow, temporary and partial, it could not and never was intended to perfect the consciousness of the worshiper. Indeed, built into the system was the constant reminder of sin. Okay, here we go again. Another sacrifice. Another sacrifice. Another sacrifice. I'm constantly reminded that I still owe God a debt that has not fully been paid because another sacrifice is to be made. But perfection, perfection is the standard. And when we think of perfection, we think not just of a moral or ethical, don't do anything wrong kind of perfection. It will probably lead to that. But here this perfection is that of a completion, of a maturity. In fact, sometimes your English translation, instead of using the word perfect, will use the word mature. Which is okay. Um, But I, I like the translations that tend to use the same translation of the same word all the way through because then I can make these connections. Uh, But admittedly, I'm using a translation that didn't do that in this case. Always have to fix something. Always. Sorry. It's a good translation. The, The wages of sin is death. No, sorry, back up. Perfection is always the standard. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Jesus teaches us He says, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Paul would write to the Colossians and says, this is is the whole reason why I preach. I paraphrase. So that we might present all of you mature or perfect in Christ. That's why we assemble. That's why we come under the Word again and again in this one degree of glory to another. So that has been the standard. But the old system couldn't bring that kind of perfection. Morally, ethically, 
or even, shall we say, ontologically, in terms of our being, our existence, who we are, not just what we do. Couldn't do that. There was remembrance of sin, says one commentator, but there was never the remission of sin. The wages of sin is death, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We're reminded of this in Hebrews chapter 9. In verse 22. And the system required repeated sacrifices and just constantly told me, I don't have the full pardon. The debt has not fully been paid. Now, if we also consider the valuation of, let's say, a lamb compared to a human life. Now, I know that our world is a bit confused in the valuation of life. But this is the argument that's here in Hebrews 10, verses 1 to 4. A lamb is not a substitute for a human life. Not ultimately. It may be a temporary scapegoat, shall we say. It may be a temporary condition, but it cannot ultimately replace. The the blood of a lamb does not equal the blood of a man or woman or a boy or a girl. So if the wages of sin is death, the, the wage that must be paid is the death of human blood, not the death of lamb blood. You see? The whole system always pointed to its own incompletion, its imperfection. Now, inherently was this reminder. And the system was incomplete, imperfect. No, not a second thought but only partial revelation of all that is to come. Now, verses 5 to 10 go on and give us the remedy, the solution. Indeed, the the real sanctification, we'll call this. Consequently, verse 5, when Jesus came into the world, He said, and now the preacher quotes Psalm 40, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for Me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. And I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now, it's curious, isn't it, that, that the preacher says it's Jesus talking back in Psalm 40. He makes that just significant leap within the setting of the psalm. Jesus said this. We might more accurately say, the Son of God said this. Now verse 8 continues, When He said this above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and burnt offerings and sin offerings. They're offered according to the law. He added this, Behold, I have come to do your will. So here He abolishes the first order in order to establish the second. That is, the old covenant is replaced by the new covenant. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all time. When Christ came, He came to perfect the Old Covenant system. He came to complete the Old Covenant system by showing that He Himself is the one-for-one substitute. Not the blood of a lamb, but the blood of the Lamb of God, the Son of God, who came to take away the sin of the world. A one-for-one equal substitution. 
And Christ died as a direct substitute in your place. He shed His blood in place of your blood. Something no lamb or goat or bull or calf could do. Now, the preacher says, even the Old Covenant knew this. And the Old Covenant revealed to us that it knew itself it wasn't enough. And that it wasn't complete. And he goes to Psalm 40 to prove this. He quotes Psalm 40, uh, actually from the Greek translation of the Old. And if you'd compare the Hebrew and the Greek, you know some differences, but that would be a wonderful Sunday school class we'll save for another time. Jesus is said by the preacher to have spoken these words. Sacrifice and offerings you haven't desired, but you've given me a body. You've given me a body. I am the replacement. I am the substitute, says the Lord. Indeed, He sanctified Himself as that sacrificial offering. Now, Jesus alludes to this in His words in His earthly ministry in John chapter 17 and verse 17 through 19. Jesus says, as He's praying to the Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and for their sake I sanctify myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Christ sanctified Himself. I know some translations say consecrate, but it's exactly the same word. Jesus sanctified Himself, set apart Himself to do the will of the Father in order that we too might be sanctified by the truth. Made holy, set apart to do the will of God even as the Son has done the will of God. Now we would recognize that it, this passage in Hebrews indicates that verse 10, we have been sanctified. Perfect tense. A past historical event with present continuous results. All who are in the Lord Jesus Christ have been sanctified. This is our position in Christ. This is our position in heavenly places. And Paul reflects upon this truth, if I might scoot away from Hebrews to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And right around verse 9. The Corinthian church, well, the Corinthian culture was pretty lewd, pretty base and immoral. In fact, if you're going to go out and kind of do the party immoral thing, you would simply say, let's go Corinthianizing. Yeah, that's what they were known for. And these people right at the very start of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, calls them saints. Sanctified ones. It's chapter 1 about verse 2. They've changed. They've had a radical transformation of life. And they have been sanctified positionally in Christ. And he describes this again in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9, don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers who cheat on their taxes, oh, uh, swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Such were some of you. We all were born dead in trespasses and sin. We all were of one caliber or another unrighteous and ineligible for citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. Each and every one of us was ineligible, unrighteous. And as such, our life looked like the fruits of unrighteousness. We were morally because of what we were internally. What's on the outside is simply the fruit of what's inside. But when the inside changes, verse 11, you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. When God makes you alive to Christ by the Holy Spirit, you change. And positionally, you're sanctified. You're a holy one. Your place is with Christ in the Holy of Holies. That's who you are. And it will then have an effect on the outside. You will change your behaviors. You will change your lifestyles. Your desires will change first. And it's a progressiveness. And we'll come to that in just a moment. Because we're not only positionally sanctified, but we are progressively sanctified as well. Well, the Hebrew church had been tempted to return to the shadows. They'd been mocked. They'd been persecuted. They've left the old temple service and are being coerced to come back into that old system. But to go back meant to forsake the real thing. To go back to imitation of the shadows when they had the realities in Christ. Now, we might not face the same temptation to go back to animal sacrifices. We probably, in our background and culture, really don't have much at all of animal sacrifices. Though, there is this little ritual of killing your first deer and drinking the blood. Yeah, we, we do have our own little rites. We do have our, our own little rituals. And even our uh, uh, an over-formalism in worship can lead you to lean upon the rites and the rituals as if that is what makes you right with God. But there may be nothing inherently wrong with the rite or the ritual. And sometimes we'll jettison all of them thinking that it's a slippery slope. All we do is replace them with a different set of rites and rituals. 
No, we have the same temptation, just with a different application. But verses 11 to 14 continue, the priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices that can never put away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Notice the difference. Earlier, you have been sanctified, and now you are being sanctified. Both of these realities come together. We're positionally made holy, set apart for God. That's who we are. And we are progressively, experientially, moving on from one degree to another, becoming more holy in the way we actually live it out, the way we live. I know we wish it were instantaneous. At least those of us that are struggling with the old way wish it were instantaneous. The battle would be over. But God in His infinite wisdom has determined that the way we grow, the way we grow anything, the way we grow anything solidly unto maturity is bit by bit. We say that with our plants. We see that with our children. And so it is with our soul. Well, in this is the solution to the imperfection is sanctification. And with this then, the results come in verses 15 to 18. We have finally the full remission of sin. I like the the old authorized version uses the word remission of sin. By a single offering, verse 14, he's perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Verse 15, the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. He's quoting Jeremiah 31 and this promise of a new covenant, which he quoted at the beginning of this theological section. And now the preacher comes to his rounding out of conclusion. He says, where there is forgiveness of these sins, there is no longer any offering for sin. Here we have indeed all members of the triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Christ has testified to the Father, you, Father, have given me a body. And I offer it willingly as a sacrifice. And now the Holy Spirit takes all that Christ has accomplished and applies it to the believer. A wonderful work of divine intervention and new life. The Holy Spirit testifies to us how? Well, in these verses. The Holy Spirit testifies to us first and foremost by the Word of God. The Scriptures, the Bible. And the author Hebrews constantly brings us back to the Old Testament. Evidence for what we believe. We too would do right to always go back to the Old Testament. Always go back to the Bible. To the Word of God. Now, as this goes, we realize, again, the New Covenant has wonderful blessings. Two aspects the preacher points out. One is the internal nature of the New Covenant. You are changed from the inside out. It's internalized. The 
the, the will of God is not written on tablets of stone, but now is impressed upon your heart, your conscience. You're aware, you know, your desires, your devotion is for the things of the Lord. We're in this beautiful season of spring. Uh, although uh, some of the state is further behind than we even are. Uh, Monday, Tuesday, we had opportunity to get up to Petoskey and it was still winter. I mean, snow and everything. We had to make sure we got home before the storm. I don't know if they got it. We didn't. No, but it's spring. We have the trees. And at beginning, you can begin to see a change of the color. You see the buds coming forth. Some of the trees still have their leaves on there. Oaks especially. Those leaves hang on there all through the winter, all through the wind, all through the snow, all through the ice. They're still there. They're dead, but they're hanging on. But then, suddenly they start to fall in the spring. There's hardly a thing happening. Oh, maybe we'll get April showers, but why? The sap begins to gently pulsate through the trunk of the tree and into the branches. And the life-giving sap begins to push the bud. And that, that power causes the dead to fall off. Isn't that something? From the inside, the change happens. As the sap flowing through the branch. The storms may blow, but that will not change your character, your being. You can do all the rites and rituals externally. You can discipline yourself rigidly, but it will not make you right with God. That change is only done by Him as He works inside of you and places His will and a desire for His will in your heart. Then, the dead stuff begins to fall off on the outside. This is the internal nature of the new covenant. One has written it this way. This is what happens when God writes His will on our hearts. The new life within purges the deadness from our lives. Our renewed hearts pump fresh blood through us. The life of Christ in us the same life that said, here I am, I have come to do your will, O God, animates us. Here I am, Lord, I have come to do your will. Not mine. With this sin, this internal change, this transformation, brings the remission of sin, the forgiveness of sin. Where we have a sacrifice like this in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's no more remembrance of sin. We come not to a sacrifice of blood. Some, some churchly groups believe that they re sacrifice Christ at the communion table. Again, breaking the bread 
And the pouring of the wine is the shedding of Christ's blood again and again and again. We, we say no to that. Hebrews clearly teaches us there's one sacrifice. And Christ shed His blood not on an altar here, but in heavenly places. So we come to the table and we come not to remember our sins. Here in the New Covenant, there is no remembrance of sins. Because the once and for all time sacrifice has brought remission. No, in the Lord's Supper, we remember Christ. Isn't that what he says? Do this in remembrance of your sin. No. Do this in remembrance of me, he says. Why? There's no remembrance of our sin. There's a remembrance of Christ, not our sin, because He has remembered our sins no more. No more. No more are they held against you. No more are they a blot on your record. He remembers them no more. This is the great high priest. Our Lord Jesus Christ. He's offered Himself for you. Would you receive Him? Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll know the forgiveness of sin. The clear conscience before God. An unspoiled and unstained mediator for you in the Holy of Holies and the start of a new life. So, Father, indeed, we come. We ask Your application by the Holy Spirit of these truths. Imperfect though we come. Christ, our sanctifier, has made us whole and brought the forgiveness of sins. So we forget what lies behind and we strain forward to what lies ahead. We press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. May this be so. Through Christ we pray. In the power of Your Spirit. Amen.